0: Hello, guys. I'm Scott Gritz, and you're watching Rugby Wrap-Up. Have a great day.
1: Next on Rugby Wrap-Up, Dan Power, Brian Ray, and Matt McCarthy have the knives out and are ready to take down the chairman of the board of directors of Major League Rugby, Eric Anderson. Rugby Wrap-Up brought to you in part by the Pig & Whistle, the world's best rugby pub, the Murphy Kennedy Group, founded with the idea that construction can be done better and lean and limber stretching your way to a healthier lifestyle hey everybody and welcome back to rugby wrap up matt mccarthy in midtown manhattan dan power in the great state of Missouri or Kansas. Not sure. We'll find that out. And Mr. Brian Ray up in Nova Scotia. Gentlemen, great to see you. Welcome back.
0: Thank you,
2: Matthew. Lovely to be here.
1: Brian, <laughs> Brian that is your best intro a greeting ever. All right, so guys, we got, a, we got Eric Anderson, the chairman of the board of directors of Major League Rugby. He's also the owner of uh, the New England Free Jacks. And he basically is a very successful uh, man who is a handsome man, too, Dan. You're going to like him. Uh, but uh, before we get to him, let's speed around the globe real fast. And I mean real fast because he's already in the waiting room. So, Brian, why don't you start us off with some what? Major League Rugby
2: news? I don't look anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, a whole bunch of uh, uh, We got uh, uh, some college guys, Cam Dodson, uh, Harry Masters. Uh, Masters, by the way, not technically signed yet, but uh, he is going to Old Glory. Uh, Nick Hildebrand coming down from Canada, Head to Houston. Uh, Gino Ho Munn, uh, local signing for, uh, for Dallas. Uh, we had Bryce Campbell on the way back. Where is going to uh Vian Karate, namibian flanker he's signed up uh and a bunch of re-signings chad goff uh, nacho Dottie, big uh, uh big re-signing for for nola so uh yeah lots of news neasling Garicki, uh, nick feeks as well another another beauty in nola Roderick waters speedy guide austin there you go
1: nacho dotty how about not your mama <laughs> no
0: still a free agent unfortunately matt
1: still free agent speaking of free agents dan uh, things that caught your eye on uh, the global rugby landscape. Global
0: rugby landscape. Well, we're back in Australia. We're playing some rugby, and they kicked off things quite well. Uh, the interstate rivalry, Queensland, New South Wales. The good guys, the old uh, the two heads from Queensland. We get the win up there. So if you can see the scar, that's where my second head was removed. A little, little joke that the New South Wales uh, upper crust like to make about us, uh, hillbillies up north. But it was good to see Super Rugby Australia. And I think, you know, there is something to be said for you know this regional kind of rugby moving forward for new zealand playing in new zealand australia playing in, in australia so maybe a, a silver lining here to a dark cloud that has been COVID, matt
1: so we we had our special guest Scott Brits tell us last week that maybe the pandemic means a reset globally for a lot of different things and this could be one of those it'll certainly offset the loss of South African teams going north perhaps and the travel. But what does it leave with a a team like Argentina, the Jaguars that are in the super rugby?
0: That's a tough one because obviously we've seen before in, in the Americas, Argentina is quite dominant when they come up north and play against Canada and the United States and then through Central and South America as well. So maybe splitting that country into two, um, I'm not sure, Matt. That's a really good question. That's probably one that they're going to have to figure out because Argentina is probably in a pickle where they're too dominant for their time zone, but the travel to the southern, uh, sorry, to, to Australia, New Zealand, too long. South Africa, the same, and again to Europe, they're kind of on their island down there. So I'm not. I don't have an answer for that one.
1: Well, I'm maybe concerned. maybe they split them in two and bring them into the MLR, Brian.
2: You know what? I'd just like to see them focus on the, uh, the SLAR, the Super League. Uh, um, I know some people down there kind of think of themselves as high and mighty, but I think they need to contribute to uh, the region as a whole. Uh, gets, you know, you got so much talent in the Aguas, so much talent in the Argentina 15. There's more than enough for four Argentinian teams in that league. Uh, spread them out build up uh, their neighbors, build up the the rugby down there. And look, the top guys are going to go to Europe. We've seen Kramer go. uh, We've seen Petty go. Uh, That's just the way that's going to go with the market anyway. So, uh, you know, the Aguirre's thing is disappointing, especially as they did so well making the final. But, uh, you know, that's just the state of the world. We've got to move forward. And uh, personally, I'd like to see them focus on the SLAR. And then we'd have an awesome MLR SLAR final, uh, you know, grand championship, America's championship one day. So uh, that's what I'd like to see. All right, speaking of which,
1: the ARCs, the America's Rugby Championship, has been officially canceled by the COVID. That's a big bummer. Is that going to devastate that setup going forward, or are they going to be able to regroup and come back? And, and here's a two-parter, do we start furloughing USA Rugby coaches?
0: That's a great question, isn't it? Because I think we've seen it with all major sports across the globe have done just that. Um, I think there's enough value to having Gary Gold stay. Uh, His assistance, there's probably a lot of development work that can be done, whether or not that means a salary cut, considering the the budget constraints that USA Rugby are currently under, I'm not too sure. But um, in terms of the ARC... This is going to sound bad, but probably not a bad thing to cancel because there was some bad blood from the the recent world rugby elections. Maybe this gives it a chance to just kind of calm down and settle down and we can see a reboot next year, Matt. Speaking of bad blood,
1: some comments from, some from overseas. Uh, the former coach of the Glendale Raptors, now the Colorado Raptors is no longer in Major League Rugby, Andre Snyman, about how the sleeping giant is going to be asleep a lot longer. How USA Rugby is kind of in a shambles. He's kind of dismissing the MLR, but he didn't have the great experience in Colorado for a lot of reasons.
2: Well, it seems like a lot of people didn't have the greatest experience in Colorado, so he might not be alone. Uh, I I I, it's, I thought his article, you know, he's got some points. Sure, there's uh, some disorganization. Uh, he's talking about uh, the uh, like the two coasts playing different kinds of. The USA is a massive, massive country. We're not talking – it's not the same situation at all as in South Africa. Uh, The rugby isn't the same. It's not ingrained in the culture like it is over there. So I think it's – you know there's some validity to it, sure, but I think he's uh, I don't know, maybe not quite on point. And the comments about MLR, just it, it seemed like he hasn't even watched any in the past couple of years, saying that oh, uh, averaging 700 players, uh, yeah. people a game. I mean, it, the average was three times that in 2019, trending upwards in 2020. That's kind of an absurd statement to make, especially when you're getting five, six thousand going to see the game in San Diego, sellouts in Seattle. I mean come on. So uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't put too much validity in his comments, to be honest. Uh, you know, sounds like a, a lot of salt and, and hot air in that. I
0: know Andre personally and spent some time with him when he was out here. He's a, he's a really good dude. Um, obviously, much to Brian's point, the circumstances of his departure weren't great, which is probably a little bit of indicative to his comments. But a lot of what he said is true as well. And I don't think that that's moving forward going to be true. I think a lot of the self-reflection and a lot of the the movement that Brian mentioned the last few years at MLR is probably lost uh, in his article. And we are headed in the right direction. All right, well, America, rugby, everything is great. You can't not talk American
1: rugby without a team that plays in red, white, and blue. And that is the Free Jacks. And we have the owner of the Free Jacks, but more importantly, he's the chairman of the board of directors of Major League Rugby, Mr. Eric Anderson, don't go away. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig and Whistle on West 36th Street. All right, we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Matt McCarthy with Mr. Brian Ray, Mr. Dan Power, and we have the uh, pleasure, or pleasure, depending on where you are, of welcoming in our chairman... Of the board of directors, he's just not the owner of the New England Free Jacks. He's the chairman of the board, the Frank Sinatra of Major League Rugby, Mr. Eric Anderson. Eric, we have our panel, and we have some questions, and our goal is to take you down brick by brick. The NFL's got this firestorm of naming problems. The Indians, the Redskins, you know, it goes on and on and on. Now, We're even talking about Washington. It kind of pales in comparison to the grief that you're getting with the Giltinis and the Gilgronies, but you are, you know the league is getting some brushback. What are your opinions on that?
3: Oh, I thought you were going to go the other way on that. The grief we're getting as opposed to the excitement. No, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, we, uh, with all the names in MLR, I think what that's a ref- what you're seeing is a reflection of in part the fun we're having with it. Uh, but it's really, uh, this is a serious league and it's a serious sport and, uh, It's also, at the same time, we want to make sure we put on a really good show for our fans and that they know that they're going to come out and see an awesome entertainment product on the weekend. So Adam Gilchrist, the owner of the Giltinis, he has a really great plan for what's going to be happening in Los Angeles. So I would just encourage people to really pay attention to what he's doing there and and see what happens with the
2: Giltinis. For Christ's sakes, where the hell is the team in Vancouver? You know, we've heard all this mention of franchises here, there, and everywhere. Hawaii, everyone's talking Hawaii. What's going on with Vancouver? You know, the right group of both rugby folks and business folks coming, haven't come together
3: yet to sort of approach the league. I mean, that's the honest answer. that it is. Uh, when we break down the list of cities, if you think about where is the inventory for rugby cities in North America, there's about 40 cities on that list, four zero. And we're currently at 13 cities. We think the maximum number of teams we can eventually have in Major League Rugby is probably if you use NFL as a, as a really good benchmark. It's a very thoughtful reason why they have 32 teams. We'd be focused in around that level of 30 or 32. Vancouver's on that list of where you would kind of think about where you'd love to have a rugby team. We're just waiting for the right group to come together and coalesce and have the right
0: plan. Let's, let's focus on the beautiful jersey that you're wearing there. And you do have your role on the board, obviously, but you are the Free Jacks uh, majority owner. Your heart's in New England. With the Free Jacks, a lot of excitement was building up to that uh, opening game that you had in Boston unfortunately COVID-19 ruined that how's the communication been with the fans since that and then what are things looking like for 2021 in boston
3: alex Magalby, ceo of the free jacks uh my co-founder uh the brains of the operation. when we went through the decision to shut down the season the most disappointing thing for us was how our fans were just we're not going to be able to come to that first home game that we spent so much time preparing for um had sold an incredible number of season tickets uh, just had an incredibly passionate fan base that was ready for that first full mlr match and it was literally you know the week leading up to it when covid really started hitting so that was i mean our philosophy there mags's philosophy was to communicate early and often and just tell them exactly what we were doing and what we were thinking and thanking them for for what they did um in the support that they were demonstrating uh you know oddly merchandise merchandise sales were like skyrocketing post Covid announcement and canceling the match. So I don't know if people plan on like showing up to the game and buying jerseys there, but um, we certainly saw the outreach from the fans and uh, how they were supporting us as an organization. Um, we tried to reach out and help some of our sponsors. You know, some like we've got small sponsors like Summer's Pubs where, um, you know, the uh, the team there is putting together watch parties and, and things for our fans. And so obviously they've had a hell of a time uh, during COVID. And so we just hope that all of them can, can make it through to the other side. And so we are trying to activate our fan base and, and, and our folks to, to get out for our sponsors and to get out for our community uh, while at the same time figuring out they need to take care of themselves and be safe. Yeah. Who's the sheriff watching over the salary cap? Killebrew, uh and his team, who do a really great job. But the salary cap is a reflection of the maturity of the sport today and the league. And so uh, you know, there's nothing that we would love more as a group of owners and as a league. Uh, we want to see all of all of that money going up year by year. Because what it does is attract, not only attracts talent from all sorts of pockets where, where there are people playing domestically in other sports, where we, we know that there's great crossover athletes coming from, uh, from football, from basketball, from other areas. Um, these guys got to make a living wage, right? And so right now at the salary cap level where we're at, it's, uh, these guys are definitely working the rest of the year doing something else. Um, we have associate players that come in and they're playing for the passion of the game. Uh, passion of the sport so it's our strategy to get that up you know as high as we can every single year while at the same time you know most of the investments today are going into the infrastructure clearly no one's making money at this stage of a startup Um, that is the strategy we know we're investing tons of money into each geography and at the league level um, and salary cap is one aspect of that
1: yeah but you have a cap of like what 500k i'm i'm guessing or that's right
3: all right, so 500K in salary cap. But oh, wait, got- oh, wait. To be, to be fair, we do let San Diego spend an extra like two million dollars just to get big players. So we do. We do have like these little rules that we go. We just. We do, right. Next year it'll be somebody else. We'll just give a pass to somebody else next year. So is it like the ping pong ball in the NBA draft? Is that? You know, it was. It was literally just. Uh, you know, honestly, it came down to a game of beer pong, and Ryan Patterson won. So. You got, you got the break salary cap this year. That's what we because
1: I, I'm thinking that Rob Shaw is bunking with Nanu, or he's probably gone already, and driving up in a beat-up Volkswagen 1970 bus with that salary cap coming from where he's coming
3: from. No, all, all seriousness aside, everyone's keeping to the salary cap um, that it is. And that's hard. I mean, that that makes it really challenging for how you bring over these headliner players. And, you know, the deal with Rob Shaw, you um, talk to Ryan about it. It's just, it's a combination of things that he's doing in the rest of his life outside of what he gets paid to be an MLR athlete. And so that's just the balance. If you want to, if you want to play in the MLR and you are someone um, obviously as that marketable as Rob Shaw, you're going to, he's got to piece together a deal that goes outside of what you're allowed to pay folks uh, as an athlete.
1: And, and to date, the cap does not include living expenses. So per se, if I owned a team, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I could put up a guy in a fancy apartment and give him a nice car, and that does not count toward the cap.
3: We do have rules against all sorts of those things. You aren't the first to think about how you circumvent all of the rules.
1: Oh, I I doubt I'm the first.
3: This is, uh, you know, the the Saracens did a great job of getting around the rules in very creative ways, so it's nice to learn from their lessons. Um, Look, the principle is we're we're, we're all aligned uh, from the ownership group in that we we want the most important thing is that it's a really competitive league and that there's, there's, we want parity so that every game is exciting for our fans. And that's a, that's a shared principle. Uh, you know, there's a, there's almost a free rider. We, you can have a, a team be the worst in the league and as long as the other 12 teams next year do a great job, we I mean, were all part of the same organization. We're all part of the same league. Uh, our individual teams are under sort of the league umbrella. So that's uh you know, Behind the scenes, you know, it is easy to, um, to try to make sure that we are competitive and that there's parity because that makes for more excitement.
0: We've just come out the back of the college draft. What's the encouragement now for teams with the draft in place to go out and develop these players only to have them go to college and then get drafted to another team? Is the league looking at potentially a catchment area of development that can uh, be signed as, as maybe a marquee outside of the draft? Or is that something that we'll cross in years down the track as we start seeing these high school players go to college and then come out. One of the four factors we look at as part of an expansion
3: team is actually people's development plan. And so this is an incredibly important part of what we do. Um, It's not something that actually has to be legislated or mandated up from the league office level and down. It's something that's embedded in in sort of the fiber of every one of our teams. And uh, I think you see some teams spending a lot of resources and a lot of time or a little bit ahead of others, but I'll I'll tell you every single one of the 13 teams is certainly going to be at the level uh, that you might see with the development work that we've seen in San Diego and even DC coming right out of the gate last year, they did a really great job putting together their Academy pretty quickly. Um, Down in Houston, they've been working on it a lot. So we, we see it in almost every single city. And of course, up in new England and Boston, uh, this is one of our top priorities about how we focus on youth all the way through to collegiate. And then even at the club level, um, I mean, we, we, our plan is to spend a quarter to a half of our resources developing everything outside of just what you see on, on TV uh, with MLR.
2: I think an important part of MLR is the quality of the veterans that are coming in and kind of uh, instilling that rugby IQ on the younger on those younger American players. Sure. Uh, but one of the issues we're seeing with the import players is uh, this visa delays that we've seen. We've also seen it a bit with, with coaches as well. It seems like uh, you know people have a good immigration lawyer. Some teams are doing a little bit better than others. Uh, uh, this past year, uh, like one uh, Manuel all up in Seattle, I mean, we didn't even get to see him at all. Uh, is there anything that, that can be done uh, from a league perspective to kind of expedite this coming in? Or is it just kind of something that uh, we have to live with uh, for the time being? And and do teams just have to sign players earlier in, in that case?
3: Federal government has a tough job. And there's a lot of folks that come in that try to claim that you're a professional sports league or something crazy. I mean, we we all are aware of sports leagues that are a little bit more fringe than, than rugby where you've got 800 million fans around the world. So yes, it's they, they, there are rules in place uh, to get visas to play for a professional sports team and the, in the first year of MLR, MLR didn't, didn't qualify for the statutory sort of revenue levels and all of these other type of things that would, just from a statutory standpoint, that's easier for immigration services to deal with that. We are at that stage now. So having wrapped up season three with COVID, it was a, obviously a shortened season, but coming into season four, we've crossed all those key hurdles that I think makes it easier uh, to check the box on everything with immigration services. So I would expect it to go more smoothly in the coming year. Again, these are obviously the international players are really phenomenal and, uh, and bringing them in and bringing their experience in. And you know, we see a lot of players coaching other players uh, across the league. And, uh, at the, the place where that really pays huge dividends for us here in North America is that they're really training the younger guys are training the folks that have less experience. Uh, but they're also, you know, between matches or in the shoulder seasons, we're getting them, um, out in the community uh, and just being a, being a part, you know, a citizen of new England for us, which has been really phenomenal to get people exposed to the sport and, uh, And more interested in what we're doing with MLR. Yeah,
1: there's definitely a buzz up there because that whole Carrot Cup thing was awesome. That was a great idea. The fans, the the crowds increased each time. You guys figured out how to do the party thing. You know, you got the Dartmouth Cabal, which I I always talk about unabashedly that I love. And as a university SUNY Buffalo guy, I want to sneak in the back door of that somehow. Uh, But it's a, big, it's a big tent.
3: We don't exclude anybody.
1: I like, I like that. It's, a, it's, a, it's an inclusive tent, that right. that Free Jack's tent, and good beer. But you've done a good job with the marketing. But really, can a sports franchise succeed being called New England? Oh, come on. You, are, are
3: you kidding? Is that just because you're from New York? Like, you, you got to do that? I mean, come on. Yeah, where do, where do you put your teams? How many of them are in Manhattan? Or, like, what do you consider, like, New York? Is Foxborough Boston? Is, is Jersey New York? Is, it, is, is that fair to New Yorkers? I don't
1: know. Uh, valid point. Let's get it back to rugby. I'm the one that allowed this to slip off the rails temporarily, but let's get to the tough one. The dual ownership thing, in, okay. or the owning more than one team or interests in, in more than one team. Is this the way forward, or is this a necessary evil right now?
3: There's only maybe 32 MLR teams in North America. right? We're at 13 today with 12 owners. And the, what we're committed to all as an ownership group is one team, one owner, because that feels like the right way for this to be competitive. It's like there, there's no, you wanna be ganging up on that guy that, that called you names at the last board meeting for sure. Um, so it's one team, one owner is absolutely the plan. It's about finding the right 30 partners. Rugby is one of the most exciting sports in the world. Behind soccer, it's one of the, one of the biggest participation sports in the world. And uh, Americans love a, a full-contact sport that also is the accessibility, and the safety, and the flow of rugby in the United States. Like, we know it's going to be successful, there's no question. And so you want to be really careful about who your partners are, and you have to sit down within a boardroom and, and really talk to about where do we have shared interests and shared values. And so, you know, you look at maybe a World Cup in 27 in North America or a World Cup in 31 in North America. When you're working back from a 31 World Cup in North America with 30 ML armors, 28, 26 at the time, that would be a really great place to be. You want to have the right partners, you know, so that you can last for a few generations with the right people as your partners.
0: I know that conversation has been uh, ongoing with World Rugby. Is there a checklist and how far into that checklist are we as a country to ticking it?
3: USA Rugby is obviously gets the credit for doing a lot of the work here and working with World Rugby on it. Really, Major League Soccer in particular has built all the right size of stadiums. And so I would look absolutely as part of our plan. At how do we work with MLS or USL owners to make sure that we have the right venues in place? And we have a fair amount of time between now and then. And it, it's, on, it's on the radar for every MLR owner of which stadium are you going to be in this year? What's your three-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? And that's, that might even be three stadiums for many of us. I think the the money going into youth development in the academy is probably a pretty big gap, right? So we we would want I think if I'm World Rugby, you want the host country to be successful and and to make a push. Certainly, I'd want to see the USA make it even past the quarterfinals and and farther from that. That's a that's a big uh, lift for us in the United States, given, as you well know, Dan, the amount of time it takes to become good at rugby. It isn't just like take take some athlete off off of another professional sport and teaching to play rugby yeah having
1: a professional setup in the united states that's continuing will help that get achieved faster that, i mean that's how
3: we view it for the mlr the, be- the best thing we can do to help world rugby and usa rugby and rugby canada uh, is to for mlr to continue to invest in the development of our domestic and international players and to and to bring in that fan base so that when, when you have a world cup here in the united states in uh, the United States and Canada, I would say, we'll do a, we'd like to see a joint bid, of course, for North America. When you see that happen, you also want to see the, you know, an awesome, well-educated fan base that knows and loves rugby.
1: I wanted to segue to a question about global rugby because we see CVC is buying up a lot of different rugby teams or interests in leagues and setups. The latest is the Six Nations, which may become the Eight Nations. How
3: are the, how are the ongoing talks with CVC going right now? CVC is an incredibly professional group who understands the commercialization of sport, and uh, look, these are incredibly sharp guys. I, I love seeing them come in, and uh, and to put not only their attention and their sort of they're putting their money behind a thesis that certainly we believe in, which is the increasing commercial value of rugby domestically, but also internationally. So. I love that they're putting money behind that. And these are really smart people who's, you know, they make a promise to the, to the limited partners who give them money, that they will make them more money. That's, that's a really good sign for the sport globally. But what it also is, is they bring a level of professionalization that also helps. It's sort of, you know, they, they bring something different to the conversation and also the, the capital then that can help make the investments that are necessary to uh, invest in centralized content, invest in sort of how do we upgrade our stadiums, how do we engage with our fans. We get the privileges, rugby people. Of, uh, of putting on a really great rugby game and, and investing that down for our communities. That's how we think about it in New England. And We, we got to do both.
1: But Okay, but speaking to you as the chairman for the league, do you have uh, members of your ownership groups saying, okay, let's, let's, let's do a deal with CVC where others are saying, wait a minute, let's build this thing up first before we consider bringing in somebody else because we might be selling too soon.
3: I mean there's no owner that's just a flipper of their interest. Like that is not that is not where anyone is at. I mean this league was started by seven really passionate founding members who were all about rugby, and they put it in a business structure that, I, that at least what we saw. so we were not one of the founding members in New England. Uh, but we saw it in season one when it was coming together, and Mag was paying really close attention to it. And it was a high-integrity group of folks who had a long-term plan for outcomes together. So um, as the league scales, everyone needs access to capital to scale. And whether you get that from your own ownership group or whether you look to bring folks into your ownership group or we look as a league to bring in folks into the league level, um, we look at all the options. I mean, that's just finance. I mean, there's, there's only one rugby league in North America. And so if you, if you understand sports and you understand international sports, and you understand the internet nationalization of media and media rights, you kind of, you look in at MLR as an incredibly uh, cheap uh, in uh, trade is what it is from an investor standpoint. So I would hope CBC, I mean, CBC, I imagine sees that as well, but there's other really great partners out there in the private equity world that have both capital and expertise uh, that are aware of it. And look, our our owners are interested in methodical and long-term growth of the sport.
2: Free Jacks uh, have a trademark on those collars, or can we get those anywhere else, maybe across of every team in MLR? What's the deal here? You know, th- this comes back. So San Diego
3: got, got the $2 million salary cap, and we got the collars this year. So <laughs> I'll just tell you watch.
1: what. I, had, I, I have a pink post-it on my screen here for the, for the final three things that I just wanted to say. A, I figured out you finally look like Rob Lowe. So you could probably get it to nightclubs, saying that you're one of the low brothers. Two, I'll take that. I have, I have, get a bucket hat and a collared shirt from the Free Jacks. Got it, and, Jack. I can do that. And more of that, that Free Free Jacks ale or lager. We could those are, those are all. We, we can, we can make all your dreams come true, Matt. This is, I am like the, you know, I'm easy. I am so easy. And power is, is almost as much as of a whore as I am. He's just,
3: you know, you can get him from the Gilgronis in a second. The, the only thing I would ask is that we'll send you, a, we'll put some free Jack stickers in that. And I just asked that next time you're at somebody else's office, you just put it ask.
1: right
0: on my forehead, right? here. Is a bald spot right here. Oh. I think you're killing it, mate. I think what you're doing up there is great with Tom Brady leaving. New England are looking for a new home. I think they'll find it in the free Jacks. Cam Newton is a myth, uh, even though he may be there. There he
3: is. I was just about <laughs> to mention. There you go. I, I, I really think Alex is on another phone call right now. Alex is sporting the the Free Jacks Eagle shirt.
1: I I need one of those, too. (laughs) All right, on that note, on behalf of Mr. Dan Power, Mr. Brian Ray, and our very special guest, Mr. Eric Anderson, I'm Matt McCarthy for Rugby Wrap-Up in Midtown Manhattan, signing off.